Thanks so much for joining us once again on Cranford Radio. My name is Bernie Wagenblast. Our last few interviews have focused on literary subjects. Today, we're going to shift that focus a bit to sports. Well, actually, there's still a literary angle to today's guest. She's Katarina Gomez. She's completing her senior year at Cranford High School. She's a multi-sport athlete, a motivational speaker, and an author of two novels. Katarina, welcome to Cranford Radio. Thank you so much for having me. Let me start off on that sports side. I think it's safe to say that track and field have been your specialty, but that's not the only way that you compete. Give us a rundown, if you would, of the track and field events that you've completed and some of the other sports that you're also involved with. So I compete in the 100, the 400, and the long jump. Those are my main events. Sometimes I do other ones, but those are the ones I mostly stick to. I also compete in swimming and soccer and triathlons. Where do you find the time to do all this? <laughs> I don't know. It just magically appears. I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> well, I haven't mentioned this until now, but your path to being a world-ranked athlete is a bit different than for many others. Uh, tell us how you first got involved with sports. I first got involved with sports from a very young age. I actually started which uh, in an unconventional sport, Taekwondo was the first ever sport that I did. And it was right after I got diagnosed with cerebral palsy, my parents decided that in order to maintain a healthy lifestyle, I needed to be active and involved. Mm -hmm. So we started Taekwondo. I did that for 10 years, became a second degree black belt. And slowly as I started with school and made friends, I decided to join a couple of teams along the way. And when I was 12 years old, I joined my first ever adaptive para track and field team. And I guess the rest is history. I started that team. <laughs> I fell in love with running and I've been doing it ever since. Wow. You know, people hear cerebral palsy and they might have different images of, of how that can affect a person. Tell us a little bit of how it's impacted your life, if you would, please. I think of the way it impacts my body in two ways. It affects the way my brain communicates with the rest of my body. It kind of messes up the electrical signals. So I call it bad Wi-Fi. Because, <laughs> right, because if you have bad Wi-Fi, sometimes things don't go through. They may take longer. A couple pages don't open up. You don't know where the music is coming from. Like, there are a lot of things that can be kind of iffy when you have bad Wi-Fi. So I kind of think of it like that. My brain doesn't exactly know what's going on a lot of the time. Sometimes things are delayed. Sometimes things happen and we're not exactly sure what it was. <laughs> so that's kind of what I would use to explain cerebral palsy for me, at least. And how have you overcome that through sports? Well, sports has allowed me to have a platform to kind of test the ranges of my disability in a way. I'm able to really see how far I can push my body without repercussion and sometimes with repercussions, but I'm able to see, oh, I can, I can do this exercise and I can practice at it. And actually by doing this, I have now made getting around school easier. Mm -hmm. For example, by doing certain exercises in the morning, like core exercises, really boring stuff that you're not going to want to hear about. <laughs> but I have realized that now getting up the stairs and getting around to class is actually easier for me 
So it's definitely helped me in that aspect. With the sports, obviously, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Paralympics and such that you've participated in, but have you participated in sports at Cranford High? Yes, I've actually participated in a few. I did freshman soccer my first year, and I started with track and field right after. I've been doing track and field since freshman year, both winter and spring. Well, not spring of 2020, because we all know what happened there. Yeah, unfortunately. (laughs) Unfortunately. And I also did junior varsity soccer my junior year. Soccer, obviously, is a team sport, but I think a lot of people, when they think of track and field, many of the uh, events in track and field are individual sports. Is there a difference for you when, when you're participating sort of against others, but you're doing it by yourself versus when you're part of a team that's playing a sport? So I would say there's a difference and I have love and hate in both of them. (laughs) I, I pretty, I love both of them pretty equally, but with soccer, it's really nice because you have people who have your back. So if you mess up, you know that there's in school soccer, there's 10 other people on the field that have your back, Mm -hmm. but in track, you mess up. There's no one behind you to pick you up where you fell. So I think that way it's really nice, but also when you're with a team, you can only hold yourself accountable. You can't hold the other people accountable for like their training and things like that. Even if it's a team sport, you can't force effort out of your teammates. That's just a really toxic team energy. So you, you want them to be doing the work and putting in the extra work that you are, but you can't exactly control that. But when you're by yourself for track and field, I can control the exact amount of effort, at least on most days, I can control (laughs) the exact amount of effort that I'm putting into something, how hard I'm going to work for it. And I know exactly what I need to do to hold myself accountable. So I guess that would be the major difference between the two of them. The day that we're recording this, the temperature this morning, I think, was in the teens. How do you uh, get out there on cold mornings like this to practice or does a lot of it switch to doing indoor practice? So it's actually kind of funny because I had a conversation with my coach literally 30 minutes ago because (laughs) he lives in California. Oh. Where it is warm and sunny and not snowy at all. (laughs) So before he wouldn't ask me about the weather, but now it's he asked me every day, what is the weather like over there before he tells me to do a workout? Because he, he asked me, can you go inside? Because at some point it's actually unhealthy to go outside because your lungs and everything and your muscles, mine especially, will totally tense up and not work properly in the teens. Mm-hmm. It's just unhealthy. So I do transition to indoors. We kind of switch up my workouts a little bit so I can modify everything to an indoor setting. You mentioned, and we've mentioned about being a para-athlete. Tell us a little bit about that and how that has grown from just maybe something that you were doing locally to now internationally you're involved with that. The first time I ever was at a para-track meet, I was actually the only girl in my disability class. So I was running against all guys and Mm -hmm. I was, I was fresh off the boat. I had been training for maybe five weeks. I didn't know what I was doing. Okay. So I get on this line and I'm really nervous because I'm with a bunch of guys, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. 12. So they say the regular commands on your marks, get set, go. And I just do what I've been doing for the last five weeks. I just run full speed ahead to 
the finish line and I end up winning that race. Wow. I, I, I think everybody was shocked. <laughs> I think everybody was kind of, what just happened? I don't know. <laughs> so they, after that, I realized, oh man, I really like winning. Like this was a fun, very fun feeling. I then competed that year at nationals and at nationals, they have this thing called the special 100. So they take the top eight females racing and they put them together at the starting line. Doesn't matter your disability or your age. You're in that lineup. I got dead last. It was the first time I had been beat so bad. I, it was very <laughs> different from the feeling of beating the boys. I must say, I definitely preferred that one. But I realized that I did not like this feeling of defeat. So the next year came and I was like, okay, we got to try harder now. <laughs> we got to we gotta get going. Like, this is not happening again. So I trained and I got a call from my coach about halfway into the season. We had been to a couple of meets already, but it wasn't nationals yet. And I got a call from my coach and he goes, Kat, guess what? I go, what? I was actually sick at the time too. So I wasn't feeling very good. And he goes, you just got invited to compete in Ireland. Oh, wow. And I was like, what? <laughs> and my nausea muddled brain was trying to comprehend what was happening. Right. And he goes, yeah. So I was accepted to compete for the junior Iowa team. So the junior international wheelchair and ambulatory sports uh, for track and field for adaptive sports USA. And it was my first taste of competition outside of the U S and it was crazy that it happened only my second or third year of competing. I was totally shell shocked, but apparently they thought I was fast enough to go. So it was a pretty low key international competition. A lot of, I would say hand holding. So they were more lenient, much more lenient than when I went to say Peru or any of the other places. There was a lot of hand holding, a lot of help, but also a lot of independence because you, mm -hmm. you were in a different country by yourself. I wasn't allowed to be with my parents. That was my first taste of international competition. And I think it was the perfect thing because I was so close. I got silver. You know, that was that close to getting a gold, a silver. So I decided, all right, Next year, we're, get, we're getting it. It's going to up a level. We're going after it. And the next year was the 2019 Parapan American Games, an official Team USA event. After that experience, I was shell-shocked and realized deep inside that I want to be here and I want to keep doing this. And this is not the last they're going to see me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, yes. traveling to these places is not cheap. Does Team USA pay for that, or do you have to pay for that? It depends on the events. Sometimes, depending on what level you're at. So the way you at the U.S. works is there's these things called standards, and it's a bunch of, like, track jargon. So that's also boring stuff that you're not going to want to hear about. <laughs> but... The way it is, is basically however close to that standard you are, so that specific num numerical data, is your percentage. And based off of that percentage, Team USA decides whether or not they're going to take you or whether or not you have to go on your own. So, for example, for Peru, because I was within a certain percentage and I had made the team, they paid for me to go to Peru. Because uh, the Ireland competition wasn't fully funded by Team USA. It was Adaptive Sports USA. It was not uh, fully funded by Team USA. Mm -hmm. The Nationals trips 
So the different states that I've been to are mostly with my New Jersey track team. And the way we do it is we actually fundraise for it. And our coach says that if you are eligible to compete in more than seven events, using the funds that we've raised, we'll pay for you to go. No, oh, well, that's wonderful. This travel, obviously, you're, you're going to compete, but I would hope that there maybe are some opportunities to see some of the sites. Uh, what are some of the interesting things that you've seen, whether it's in Europe, South America, or here in the U.S.? So it definitely depends on the competition. For Peru, unfortunately, I wasn't able to see much between the bus ride to the venue and to the athlete village, but... When I went to Colorado, I was able to see Red Rock, me and my dad, who my dad is one of the coaches on the team. And we were it was the first time it was just me and my dad, my brother and my mom, the lucky ones got to go to Portugal for that week. <laughs> oh, wow. Stuck in Colorado. <laughs> stuck. We were I mean, I say stuck, but really it was wonderful. <laughs> but we got to travel to Red Rock and see some of the cool sites over there. I mean, the Chicago airport in itself is like a museum, I have to say. It, there's there's a T-Rex in there, okay? That alone <laughs> made the trip worth it. This past summer, uh, when they have the Olympics, uh, we've got the Winter Olympics underway as we're recording in Beijing, the Winter Olympics. And what some people may not realize is following the Olympics, there's the Paralympics. That also took place in Tokyo this past summer. Uh, you were an alternate athlete, I believe, for that, weren't you? Yes, I was two spots away from going to Tokyo. So close. <laughs> we actually we calculated everything, and I really was. I was two, two or three spots away, wow. which I'm very fortunate for because actually a lot of people don't know this, but um, a few weeks before trials, I was competing in Arizona, and due to accumulation of things, I actually had tendonitis and shin splints. Oh. And when I competed in Arizona, because I am competitive by nature, I will admit I am, I do get a tad competitive. <laughs> I actually hurt myself mid race of the 400 and had to be taken in a wheelchair for the next couple of days because I couldn't walk. And then three weeks later, I had to compete at trials. Oh boy. So I was really taped up pretty injured but I had been wanting to go to trial since I was 12 I was like we are doing this no matter what so luckily I didn't hurt myself further so I was fine and I really did race my best that I could have at the time but even injured not my 100% I was only two spots away so that's pretty I like to think that that's pretty cool because I got really close while not at 100% Mm -hmm. so Paris 2024, better watch out because I'm not getting injured three weeks before. <laughs> it's not happening again. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. You're hoping to uh, compete in 2024 in Paris? Definitely. And, you know, it's really fortunate I'm taking AP French with Mr. Whipple right now. So by the time Paris 2024 comes around, <laughs> I'll be able to speak some pretty okay French. <laughs> Well, we also mentioned that you're an author. Tell us a little bit about the two books that you've written. Okay. So would you believe me if I said that they came from a dream? Wow. I have an overactive imagination. I have really vivid dreams a lot of the time. So sometimes when I have a really good one, I'll write it down. I mean, I try to. Sometimes I can't understand what I wrote the next morning. (laughs) (laughs) It gets a little crazy. But 
that time I just happened to be in sixth or seventh grade and I had a dream about this girl who was in the underworld and fell in love with Apollo and I was like oh that was pretty I I think I had just finished my Percy Jackson phase too so I was kind of you know really into the Greek mythology so I thought about it and I go that could be a really good book so in seventh grade with my little at that time I had like um a tablet computer like it wasn't exactly a computer but it wasn't a tablet kind of thing I don't know I was in middle school and I just decided on my free time I would just write so I wrote about 50 pages and I had actually I had like seven different things happening at the same time at that point like seven different works but my dad or my mom had read it and said to me that she thought it was actually pretty decent and this could be an actual book so my dad said if you finish it if you finish the full draft we'll get it published so I finished that draft in seventh grade and I turned it into my dad and I go here I finished it <laughs> and he goes okay so we worked on getting it published we got a cover made I actually came up with the original idea for the cover and then we found a, an artist to put it together in more than just canva and <laughs> got it uh, self-published it's available on amazon it's available on my website and yeah it was pretty interesting and we will have a link to your website in the show notes on this episode so if anyone wants to check that out they certainly can and the third i guess major thing that you do is being a motivational speaker tell us a little bit about that please being a motivational speaker is definitely something that I know, even if I am not an athlete anymore and I run out of imagination juices, although <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's going to happen. But if I do, I definitely know that being a motivational speaker is something that I want to continue doing just because it gives me so much joy to be able to talk to people and kind of give them a little insight so that they can go into the world and, and learn from it and just be better because of it. I really like helping people. So when I do motivational speaking, I mostly talk about cerebral palsy and overcoming adversity is the main point of it, but it changes depending on the audience. I've spoken to a group of 350 students, but in middle school, you have like the peer advisors, mm -hmm. so the eighth graders who advise on the younger kids. So it was all of them from Cranford went to Kane University and they had me as the keynote speaker. Mm -hmm. And then I spoke to Girl Scouts. There was a, an event in Cranford called Girls Who Sparkle a couple months ago in the summer. And I spoke there and I actually ended up joining them for a little bit during the event, which was really fun. And I think I've spoken, I've spoken at the Kessler Foundation once. I was okay. to a bunch of scientists and I was just explaining a bit about CP and or cerebral palsy and how it works. So I definitely think I'm a better speaker now than I was, mostly because I'm taking Miss Balsero's speech class. Wink, wink. Um, <laughs> She has definitely taught me a lot in terms of how to be a better speaker and things like that. So I feel like now if I go into a speech or a motivational speech of some kind, I will be much better prepared. But I really do think that being a motivational speaker is something that I want to continue for as long as I can. Well, I hope you find one of the things I found. My speech class at Crawford High School way back in the 1970s was probably the most useful class I think I ever took and still use the things that I learned from that class 
some 50 years later. So I'm, I hope that that holds true for you as well. I interviewed for a college this past weekend and I went to Miss Balsero before the interview and I asked her for quick tips. We had gone over it earlier in the semester, but I asked her for quick tips and things I could do. And I came out of the interview feeling pretty good. And I think it's all because of the things I learned in that class definitely, definitely paved the way for that interview to be as good as it was. Well, this being your senior year, only a few months until graduation, what are your plans after Cranford High? So are we talking like long-term or short-term? Uh, both. Let's start with the short-term and then long-term. Cool. All right. So short-term, I have gone into a few schools, but I'm still deciding where I'm going to go based off of location and scholarship. I do have the opportunity to apply in June to be a resident athlete in California at the Olympic Training Center and also go to school in San Diego at the same time. So that's one option. And I'm also looking at a few schools on the East Coast that have allowed me to be part of their track team. Uh, so a lot of it is financials and and location and how the logistics of things, right? Mm -hmm. So my short-term goal would be one of those options and then me going to college and being in a full-time or at least part-time athlete at the same time, training as much as I can uh, with close contact with a coach and just being able to further develop my skills. And while I'm getting my degree, of course, right? Hopefully in 2024, I make it to the Paris Paralympics. And if all goes well after that, then two years later, I will have graduated college with at least a bachelor's. And I'm, I don't know if I wanted to go for a master's or not. I'm still deciding. But I definitely know that once I finish college, I want to dedicate some time to being a professional athlete and really harnessing my craft and perhaps doing soccer and track. I'm trying to see how that would work. You know, there's a little <laughs> bit of little bit of tension between the two teams, but we'll see what happens. Once I get through with that, I want to be a full-time author, motivational speaker. I want to be working to develop a way to help athletes with disabilities, not only have a, I call it prehabilitation. So what happens is when you get injured, you usually go to physical therapy. And after you're recovered, they kind of send you off on your way because you're no longer injured, right? Mm -hmm. But the thing is, when it comes to disabilities, they do the same thing. It's what a lot of people don't realize is once they deem you able enough, you are now completely fine to go off on your own. Newsflash, the disability didn't go away. It's still, it's still there. So I want to develop a system where I can help athletes, able and disabled alike, kind of harness their bodies in a way that they can prevent injury for a longer period of time and also have a better quality of life while living in normal life and athletic life. It sounds like you've got a marvelous future lying ahead of you, but I appreciate you taking a, a little bit of the time out of your very busy schedule just to chat with me today. Of course, my pleasure. I love chatting. Well, Katarina, again, thanks so much for being part of Cranford Radio and being part of Cranford and all the best in whatever lies ahead. Thank you so much.